Welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze. We can see that pre-verbally, children are using images and symbolism in that way. And, and then what am- animation can do is it talks to the pre-verbal side of all of us, to the, to the psychic side of us that we normally sort of only come up in, in dreams. And to go to the octopus, the octopus can become a fantastic metaphor for anxiety because it's got these eight wriggly arms which can either hug you and if they're hugging too close it's going to smother you or you can you can choose to dance with it. I'm your host Dana Kroll. Today my guest is Quint Boa, a British writer, producer, director and psychotherapist. In 2000, he founded a multimedia company called Shoot You and following the dual pandemics of COVID and a parallel global mental health crisis, Quint has harnessed his deep knowledge of the human mind and his own experience with overcoming alcohol to create some profound, thought-provoking animated shorts, which beautifully speak to those of us who struggle with things like anxiety, depression, and addiction. Thank you, um, Quint, so much for reaching out. And so, yeah, tell me about your relationship with alcohol and, you know, just what you do. And I just thanks for thanks for being here with me. Yeah, well, um, my father, Bruce, uh, he was an actor. So he was uh, a six foot, four inch tall, but American. So he came over to the UK in in the sort of early 60s. And um, and he had a successful career here uh, being a, a physically large American actor in London. There are only about four of them. So, uh, <laughs> so if you wanted so if you wanted a military general or a CIA chief or a, something, then there was only four people who'd go and do it. He was one of them. So he he had quite a sex, successful career here. He was in Full Metal Jacket and uh, Empire Strikes Back and um, Octopussy. And uh, the the thing that he gets he got he passed away uh, a while ago. The thing he got recognised here for was Faulty Towers, which mm, yeah. uh, I don't know if you know Faulty Towers. Oh so. yes, of course. All oh, right. I oh, was, okay. I was raised on a good dose of Are You Being Served and Keeping Up Appearances and Faulty Towers by my mother. Oh, really? Oh, yes. What, in the U.S.? Yeah, and it runs on so on public television, uh, it, at least in the 80s and 90s when I was young. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I'll switch on the television and, and he comes on age 46 asking for celery, walnuts, apples, grapes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> And he's never going to die. You know, he's always going to be 46. You know, <laughs> I'm older than 46 now. So he did that. He was he was drinking uh, until I was seven years old. So uh, and he was drinking heavily You know, he was he was really caning it. And then he sobered up when I got to seven years old and stayed sober ever since. And he went into AA and was his father was a preacher. So he was quite behind AA. Uh, I know there's it's quite a broad church, AA, at least in the UK. So there's more humanistic versions of it, and there's more, um, more more sort of full-on religious versions. He was into more of a full-on religious version of it. Anyway, I, I um, my drinking started in my sort of late teens, and it like straight from the first hit of Guinness, um, you know, it it really connected with me. And I continued drinking through until uh, eight years ago, uh, coming up to nine years ago now. And it was all fine. It was all hunky-dory for the first sort of 20 years. It was great. Alcohol was a great way to relax. It was a social lubricant. It was um, a, a lubricant for work. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And right from the get-go, I sort of drink, started drinking quite heavily. Uh, you know, I'd normally get through a couple of bottles of wine a day. And uh, and that really continued for 30-odd years. Um, but as, as time went on, the inevitable happened. It's still a cliche now that the time waiting for the first drink was was getting a little bit more painful mm-hmm. and um 
the the toll it was taking on me was 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 getting worse and worse such such that you know i need i it went from a nice to have to a need to have i needed to have that drink towards the end and i the the quantity was going up and up and up in order to get that same hit somehow i i i built up a resistance to it and that that also that time at the top uh that time there was was fleetingly small you know yeah. you know you i i drink to get to it and then it's like ah oh, i'm here and then I, then I drink to blackout and I was, you know, gone. So anyway, that towards the end uh, became really pro- problematic um, because obviously you had to sort of do life as well as drink heavily and things like um, meetings and driving cars and raising a family were starting to get in the way of it. And it became pretty much a choice between do I drink or do I do that other stuff, you know, that, that involved in life. And I bounced in and out of AA because by that point I I hadn't and I still I never did lose my driving license or lose my marriage or lose anything. My rock bottom was was really it was just one more time of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. I didn't go to AA. Bruce was in AA. My father, um, not at the time he passed away, but I didn't want to acknowledge that I was like my father in that respect. There was some pride around that, and it was stupid, really. But it stopped me from going in. And then when I got in, I the first few times I went in, people were saying, oh, you know, people who were chairing the meeting were saying, oh, and then I flipped my car or then I got sacked or then I hit my wife. And it's like, well, I never did any of those things. So yeah. great. I get a pass right. straight past the liquor store, straight back home. Yeah. Eventually, um, you know, I couldn't run from it anymore. And I just thought I've got to just give this a go. Um, so I signed up with a with this home group which is still running in in richmond under the bridge and uh it was a small group it was only about six or seven people but they i connected with them and 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 i still do and that was that was eight plus years ago now yeah and that meeting if i remember correctly from your interview with sober dave you mentioned they like like the like candles and just keep it very like it, I had this image yeah. coming to my head. Like, tell me more about that meeting. That you well, it's, were, were a, it's a fantastic meeting for anybody who wants to attend it. It's it's underneath Richmond Bridge. Well, Richmond Bridge was is about two and two hundred and fifty years old. And then, of course, is arches. Now the arches go over the river, but the arches continue onto dry land either side. Okay. And, and so the meeting itself is under a, a an arch oh. with exposed brick. Um, and yeah, and so you light a few candles and and get the coffee going, percolated coffee, obviously, no <laughs> polystyrene cups because you're in Richmond, and um, <laughs> and, uh, and and that's how the meetings take place. Uh, and it's quite a humanistic meeting, so you know the word God is used to users would understand him, and so sometimes you know it, it is an acronym, you know, great group of drunks or general yeah. order direction or great outdoors. Um, which is one of my favorites and and that's how the meeting proceeds but you know same thing so you leave yellow card on the middle of the table and uh it's uh it's it's great it's been a, it was obviously a fantastic resource um and you know a lifesaver for me i'm a very very happy customer when it comes to aa yeah what would you say was the was there a moment when you knew was there anything that happened when you knew kind of like okay, this thing happened. I know you maybe didn't have this rock bottom of this grandiose story of the arrest or the, you know, I got fired or whatever, but yeah. was there a moment when you just kind of knew? 
Well, I just, I mean, I, I, there were a few sort of incidents, obviously, but nothing that I got arrested for, nothing that, that uh, but the, the hangovers were becoming so bad, you know, to the point where, you know, if essentially I was, you know, plopping the, the boot on the car to neck some white wine before I actually went into work, you know, yeah. and you think, hang on a second, there's, you know, no more clues, you know, yeah. this really is getting completely out of hand. Uh, and yeah, I, I could then stop for a few days, but inevitably I go back on it. And then I go back on it at the same rate that I come off it after a few days. And and there was I just had to admit to myself that it was it had become unmanageable. Yeah. And um, I was dropping I was going to seriously drop the ball in some aspect of my life if I didn't entirely stop. OK, uh, I was just curious, because as you're talking, I'm thinking of um, your videos and how you, I'm going to ask you more about those uh, yeah. the free videos about the where you as a psychotherapist and uh, uh, you talk about depression and anxiety being uh, adaptive behaviors or that we, we learn them as children. And so I'm wondering, as you were talking, yeah. it resonated with me so much because I didn't necessarily have the like that huge like eye-opening moment either, but there was that res recognition, that adult-like recognition that, okay, I understand that if I continue to do this, these things, then something bad is going to happen or I am oh, going yeah. to lose my marriage, et cetera. What do you think it is about alcohol that makes adults, makes all of us think and behave like, like children so much with the, the sneaking around or with the, well, I can just do this one more time. Do you yeah. think there is a link or do you think there is a link to us in a childish sort of way of thinking? I, I don't know why this just came to me. I hope that question makes sense. It's yeah. It's a there is. It's an, a question as old as time itself, and I think that's one of the things that alcoholics do is is they they rake over it and think why why did I do it? Is it, is it genetic? Is it a disease? Um, and the, and the, the research is still going on. Was it some? Was it nature or nurture that that that, that drove me to to do this? Right. I think the evidence is such that. It, it becomes so compelling from a neurological point of view, the, the, the dopamine, the serotonin, the, the, that, that drives you in, in that compelling way, in spite of everything that you rationally know, it drives you to do it because you need that uh, hit because the consequences of not getting it are the withdrawals. And that is, as, as everybody knows, are extraordinarily painful and, and quite dangerous, you know, when you get into to, to serious addiction. And um, there's also an argument to say that that somehow the prefrontal cortex, it shuts down as well. It just becomes unable to to make a rational choice. So so literally, in spite of yourself, you are compelled to pursue a course of action uh, to, to go on a trend line or a trajectory that that in spite of everything, you know, um, is is going to. Um, to lead you into trouble i think there's also a question of um the sort of the gambler's uh dynamic as well where i've got away with it thus far yeah i'm going to continue it you know roll the dice one more time roll the dice one more time yeah and eventually you're going to come unstuck eventually you're going to have your comeuppance yeah um, it's a, it's a blend of so many different things and of course it's entirely subjective and contextual um I think there's an awful lot of work with MRI scans and, you know, we've, we've just come through the sort of the decade of the brain in sort of 2010 to 2020. Mm. And, and there's more and more um, research being done about this all the time. 
And I think maybe maybe soon we will have more evidence around it, actual neurological evidence of what causes addiction and and how to stop it. Yeah, I I would love to hear along the same lines, like talk to me more about these uh, videos that you do, because obviously you do a lot. Of, you've done a lot in visual arts since you started your company, Shoot You, in 2000. And yeah. um, you've come from a, a family that was in the entertainment industry yeah. and you've done, you know, acting and uh, all sorts of things yourself but now are like this award-winning, you know, visual arts professional. Like, tell me about that. And where did that come from? And well, how did that kind of dovetail with you being in psychotherapy? Because I think that's so fast. It's such a fascinating, like overlap of two worlds. Yeah. Thanks. It's yes, it is a bit of a, bit of a Heinz 57 uh, sort of career, isn't it? I, mean, I, <laughs> I started doing acting and, and presenting and voiceovers in my, in my twenties. And then in, uh, at the same time, I, I got involved in psychotherapy. What happened to me is I, I started Shoot You in the year 2000. We did video for business communications. When I got sober, I had this sort of epiphany, really, to do animation because it was possible to do animation in 2012, 2014. But the application for of animation for business communications hadn't really been explored. So that's what I did. And, and Shoot You went from being basically a company of five people in a cow shed into being a what it is today, which is a, a multinational, uh, multi-million dollar organization. Animation is a, is, a, is, a, is a key component of that. What happened during COVID was that, um, as probably as similar to the United States, we had a huge uh, mental health pandemic alongside the COVID pandemic, which continues to this day yeah. with upticks in, well, double digit upticks in anger, uh, addiction, domestic violence, depression, self-harm, you name it. And I just thought, this is crazy. What What's online to, about anger? What's online about domestic violence? What's online about addiction? And I just looked around and thought, well, this is all rubbish. You know, this, this is out of date. It's poorly produced. It's not got the latest scientific research behind it. And so a friend of mine who was a teacher had recently uh, got into trouble with a pupil who lashed out at her and it had become physical. And she said, you know, this is happening across the board in, in schools. What with, These kids are so angry. So I produced this video on anger, which basically set out the store that maybe anger, the flashpoint in the classroom, wasn't actually what was going on. It was the things that were underneath that needed to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And I produced this for her and it became a teaching tool you know she she, they could then sit down run this animation and say to the child look is there anything in this animation that resonates with you and anyway it was it was adopted and rolled out around schools and then we did one on on anxiety and we did one on domestic violence and we did one on depression and one on drug use and and those six and then uh, my colleague billy said well why don't we put these on instagram why don't you set up an instagram account which is what i did and then it straight went up to like 12,000, like straight away. And and um, I'm not sure what the metrics are. I haven't checked them, you know, the last couple of weeks, but the downloads of something like 60,000 yeah. on one and 40,000 on the other. And the way they're being downloaded is they're being downloaded and looked at, but they're also being shared with other people. Okay. And the feedback I'm getting is terrific, you know, um, and and requests for other videos or animations on um, on grief and on imposter syndrome and, and and on 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 other mental health things really the motive for that was because i was doing i was doing service you know i i got out of alcoholism you know thus far dead a time alive 
and I wanted to put something back. And that's why all those animations are free to air and downloadable from either from Shoot You or from my Instagram account. And what I want to do is is now I'm writing a book on the use of animation as a as an adjunct to other modalities for mental health. Now there has been some research on on still images, especially with regard to trauma, but nothing has been done on animation. And mm. that's what I want to try and do is to is to provoke a discussion around where animation can play its part in the treatment of mental health issues like addiction and depression and and, and stress and anxiety. And I find it absolutely fascinating. You know, when you think all the animations that that have happened over the last hundred years, you know, all of Walt Disney stuff and and Toy Story and all the way up to Frozen and, and the Marvel universe, it's only obviously there's people engage with animation in a certain way but in the last 10 years it's been possible to produce animation um business has grabbed hold of it you know they're using animation obviously they're they're our clients you know um but but the application for mental health is is just crying out to be used especially since once you've actually produced an animation you can put it online free of charge there's no media space you have to buy you can slice and dice it for for different formats channels and platforms and 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 you can even take stills out of it to use as as other sort of collateral sorry as you can tell i'm a bit of an evangelist no but this is is why i asked you you shouldn't apologize because i want people to to think about like like you made me think about animation in a different way and especially after i had seen your work and i i think conceptually what you've done is create a, a company that like you have this it might be your most recent reel as of the recording here that he's saying, um, you know, we're a media company that does learning, not oh, a yes. learning company that does media. And that's a very different thing. And I hadn't thought about learning companies going to try to do their own media, but it's not going to be the same as a media company that's going to, that's going to understand the human brain and understand the human person in a different way. That's going to find a way to connect with us on a, on a somewhat, maybe not, visceral level maybe just on a well, that's a more... really interesting that, that's yeah. really interesting you picked up on that line because um yeah we th- that's what we were thinking as well learning i mean obviously well-being is we've okay i'll put some context around this if you've got a large multinational organization they've got a hundred thousand people perhaps in their uh company spread globally and you know i i have approached some of those companies and said you know uh, yeah okay we're working for your sales marketing promotion you know what are you doing for learning and development what are you doing for well-being and they'll turn around and say well we don't have any alcoholics in our company right. oh, really a <laughs> hundred thousand i mean it's, there you right. go exactly <laughs> oh come on i mean jesus christ right darn it if i if I'd have been drinking during lockdown i would have had a bottle of sauvignon blanc over there a bottle of um you know jack over there i'm on zoom yeah. who knows right what i'm doing and you have to ask yourself if you're the top of a company if you're in, if you're in hr learning and development there's got to come a point where you've got a duty of care to at least be able to identify if somebody's yeah. got a problem and and even if you just created animations that that would help senior managers identify, you know, you're not going to be able to smell a load of mints on the breath of your employees, you know, five yeah. days in a row, right? <laughs> There's going to be some telltale sign. <laughs> well, you had said that in your interview with Sober Dave, I think, where you're like, how many mints does it take to cover up, you know, the smell of wine at 11 o'clock in the morning or whatever? And yes. Yeah. Like... Oh, the shame, the shame. Yeah. But... 
I, I love that you've used animation as sort of this universal way to connect with people because I do feel like there is this still this kid inside of me that's still fascinated by something that, you know, even if uh, I don't know what it's called in your industry, but when you've got a video like we're doing here on Zoom, but there's animation kind of like augmented to, or added to it to make me look like I'm animated. Like it's more interesting, it's more engaging. And it seems like that, you know, the things that you can do in in your company and in your profession is just fascinating to me in the way that you can you can find ways to plant those seeds inside of our yeah. inside of our adult brains that really yeah. connect maybe to our child brains. And I would love to hear you tell me more about this idea of the, and hopefully I'm saying it right, the adaptive response uh, that we've learned as children for things like say anxiety or depression, because I think it's a different way of thinking about uh, trauma that I would love for my mm -hmm. listeners to, uh, to understand that perspective and, and how that kind of like dovetails into the way that you do your, your animations. Yeah. Okay. Well, where do we start? Well, the, <laughs> obviously with the the animations that, that we produce are vanilla in that they don't uh, subscribe to a particular point of view. Broadly speaking, um, I mean, so for example, there's 70, according to the DSM-5, which is the journal for, for identifying depression, for example, mental health disorders, there are 73 different sorts of depression. Well, right. I can't sit here and tell you the <laughs> 73 different reasons for a depression and it goes from well feeling a bit blue to being you know bipolar you know or worse right. now but but it 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 one route to um let's call it anxiety uh is, is that is that during childhood um you are you are entirely dependent upon the parental figures in your life and to the extent that you're dependent on them, you of course become very watchful to see what it is to behaviorally what they're doing. You know, it becomes and and if, for example, um, for argument's sake, one of those uh, one of those adults is is using alcohol or is is, is using substance abuse, being able to recognize uh, where they are emotionally may be the difference between getting a hit and getting a hug. So you become very, very watchful. Now, as you grow up, that watchfulness as a as a default mechanism is going to be inside you and may well be the way that you navigate your life as a as a young adult. And it becomes ingrained in you and manifests as, as anxiety because you are watchful slash on edge, trying to read cues, micro cues and other people, what's going to happen now, what's going to happen now. And that's the way that you go through life. If you go and see a therapist, oftentimes they will say, oh, well, we can take that anxiety away from you. Well, that's not the answer because anxiety is a thing or watchfulness is a thing that's kept you safe. So as we say in the in the animation, you know, there's no point getting rid of it because getting rid of it kind of makes you feel exposed to something that yeah. something's going to happen. What you have to do is change your relationship to it. And and that is 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 the therapeutic process that you would undertake with somebody but of course if you have the anxiety the next thing you might do is think well god this is really getting on top of me i need to sort of self-soothe okay so i'm going to reach for alcohol or i'm going to reach for another drug that that is going to at least temporarily relieve me of the anxiety that i'm feeling and that's the the royal road to addiction is one way of, of going on i you know obviously there's thousands hundreds of thousands of ways of, of getting into it but that's broadly seen as 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 one route into it 
Well, the image that I loved the most was from the videos that you're talking about is uh, of the little girl with the octopus that there's that as her, but it, but it wasn't this like, and I mean, octo, octopi or octo, whatever, <laughs> they, they, they kind of, they kind of freak me out, but, but I know that they're these intelligent creatures and, and they're, but the many tentacles of it and, but there, but she had this relationship with this octopus that was like one of comfort, like she would hold right. it and, and he, he, sorry, he, it, whatever would hold onto yeah. her and that there was that point where she had separated as it's like she grew and became an adult. She separates herself from the octopus, but then the octopus kind of like reconnects itself to her like, Hey, but don't forget about me. You know, it's getting, you had said it can be scary yeah. to let go of those things. And so these yeah. images that, that you've chosen are so thoughtful and so thought provoking that I just, I really hope that I, I'm going to share the link. Then I hope that all my listeners will go and watch these videos. They're a couple minutes each. And so it's like 10 minutes. You can get these exposure to these beautiful things and they're free, like Quint said. So, so, th but this is what I, I'm sort of exploring with you, Diana, and with everybody who watches animation is you think, well, we're human beings. We've only been using language relatively recently, mm -hmm. you know, the last sort of, you know, 50,000 years. But before that, we were using imagery. You know, on the clay caves of Altamira, there were there were the buffaloes, and those buffaloes had different legs on them. And if you see those by a firelight, it looked like an animation. You know, mm -hmm. so we we've, we've been using imagery, using animation, if I can take that liberty, for, for you know for the, for thousands and thousands of years. Now that sort of imagery and symbolism is there in us pre-verbally. We're using that imagery and symbolism. For example, with a mother's breast, you know, and this we're going into sort of psychoanalysis here, but an object okay. relation. But we can see that pre-verbally, children are using images and symbolism in that way. And and then what am animation can do is it talks to the pre-verbal side of all of us, to the to the psychic side of us that we normally sort of only come up in in dreams. And to go to the octopus, the octopus can become a fantastic metaphor for anxiety because it's got these eight wriggly arms, yeah. which can either hug you, and if they're hugging too close, it's going to smother you, yeah. or you can you can choose to dance with it. And, and that's that kind of the relationship to it. Now, with film, you can't do that. With video, you can't do that. Yeah. I mean, you can try. I'm not sure how you can it do could, it. Yeah. But but animation is is the go to for things. You know, if they're too big, too small, too abstract, you've got to go to animation. And it's just only recently, in the last decade, really, that animation's become cheap enough to, or sort of cost effective enough to yeah. do it. I mean, my son, who's seventeen, is doing stop motion animation, mm -hmm. which you know, famous for Wallace and Gromit now, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, he's doing that for school, you know, yeah. and and stop motion animation used to cost an arm and a leg, you know, back in the day. But but now using a DSLR and a, and a piece of software, which is free called Dragon Frame, you can just click, 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 and then recreate, you know, uh, maybe making a cup of tea, the tea bag to walking along, it hops into the cup, the sugar spoon comes and 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 make a stop motion animation out of it for nothing. Really underutilized for business communications, but it's there. And and that's what that's the the magical side of animation. It talks to us in a way that that seems to bypass the cognitive and go straight into the emotional. Yeah. And you finish watching the animation, and you come out, oh, what just happened? You know, yeah. and it, and it, and you can connect with people, especially you know. There's a there's a terrific um, 
a clinical psychologist called um, Emma Holmes, who, who does a lot of work with MRI scanners and imagery um, and, and, and does work with trauma. Uh, like like Lawrence uh, van der Kolk, you know, the body keeps the score. Mm-hmm. She's using images um, in order to try to look at what a flashback is or look at what a flash forward is. So you, you, when you think about suicidal ideation, you know, people are trying to, using images, like, for example, with vertigo, you know, if you go up onto a building and you imagine yourself, you know, climbing up onto a balcony and jumping, well, that's going to, you know, create an image in your head that's going to make you aversive to that situation. And similarly with, because I I did some work with what we call critical incident debriefing in the the late 90s, um, which is now called trauma counselling, where where we talk to people who'd experienced a traumatic event and they couldn't verbalise it. They literally said, you know, I am lost for words, you know. But what what you could do is get them to talk about the smell of the situation or the noises that were around, and that would allow you to at least communicate and and tease out of them the other things that were around. And especially if you had people in a group, oh yeah, I remember that, and I remember that, and 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 little by little they would express what was going on, and we're we're at the very foothills of understanding how this all works, but but it well, seems like animation yeah. have a part to play. I'm thinking how how helpful it would have been to have some animation type stuff in Afghanistan when I was doing critical incident, you know, stress debriefings oh. with my soldiers after their buddies had been killed. And, um, you know, it's such a, <laughs> I, I remember, yeah, everyone's sitting around kind of looking at each other like, okay, well, who's going to talk first? And, you know, it, it, as the caregiver, as the chaplain, I was almost scared to open that can of worms, so to speak. And so, yeah, yeah. how how um, now I'm thinking? See, so you got me thinking like, oh man, I really hope that the military eventually catches up to this. Well, uh, John, it's interesting you say that because when I was the the training that I did was was based around the, what they called the Mitchell Seven Point Plan, which was which was built up by the by the British Army, and that came about because after the Falklands. The troops that came back on the troop ships to the UK, I think that the crossing was about four weeks or something. Yeah. They experienced less trauma than the troops that were flown back yeah. and rotated out to another zone. Yeah. And and that's because, well, it's conjecture, but but that's be- is is that because, phrase it as a question, yeah. the troops were talking about their experiences they all had on that boat going back, whereas the guys that came back on the plane rotated out of way they never got a chance to process it yeah no, and that's why the, you know for we i think we kind of got spoiled in a sense with with the plane rides home from my trips to overseas to iraq and afghanistan where it's like i just want to get home i just want to get home and then you know within 24 to 48 hours you went from being in a hostile you know combat environment to your living room and that's you know not something that would have ever taken place in warfare anytime before ever <laughs> for the last 50,000 years. Right? Yeah. This has been fascinating. Like I want to ask you though, um, as we close, I want to bring it back to you personally and your experience with your recovery. And I'm going to ask you the same question that I'm asking all of my guests in my, uh, this is my season three of my little show. Um, it makes it sound like I've been doing it for three years, but I've actually just been doing it for, um, I've, I've just been doing seasons that are about, hundred days a piece. So. 
<laughs> maybe I'm trying to make myself appear more experienced than I am, but um, no. <laughs> so in this season, uh, this series of episodes, in this uh, season, in this in this episode, in yes. this episode, yes, uh, <laughs> I am asking all of my guests. This show is called, uh, you know, I kissed alcohol goodbye. It's the show for newly sober people who are learning to love ourselves instead of booze. And so, you know, I want to know how do you, Quintpo, how do you love yourself? What are some things that you do in your day-to-day life as a busy professional guy with doing lots of different things uh, in different fields and also a family man? And, you know, you've got uh, a a good amount of time of recovery already. What are some things that you do in the day-to-day to show love to yourself that we might be able to learn from? on this side of the pond or wherever I say that, but Hey, I've got a, a fair number of UK listeners. Uh, and so I, wherever we are around the world, what can we do to love, show some love to ourselves um, based on your experience? Okay. Well, I think there are the basics with health, which is, which is shared. The acronym I use is shared, which is, is sleep, uh, hydration, uh, diet and exercise. So that's the acronym I have is shared. And, and I'm I'm a big one for sort of sleep hygiene. I, I do go to bed at ten o'clock, which is frustrating for some people. <laughs> but, uh, and exercise and diet are fairly straightforward, and and hydration is, is fairly straightforward. But so I, um, you know, meditation is 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 in there, um, and basically to sort of reflect on what is what is going on with this experience we call life and that really brings me to the other side which is service you know which i i really do feel i'm a lucky bastard for being where i am today and i look around and you know i my gratitude list is just goes on and on there's so much i'm grateful for and i really do come from a place of i've got away with something here yeah. i've really got away with it and really i should pay something back you know uh, there are other people throughout the world. There are people who have got involved with alcohol, got into trouble with alcohol. Don't think that there's any way out of it. And you know, if I can, if I can produce something that just, you know, Donna, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think it's easier to open somebody's mind uh, than to change it. You mm-hmm. know, if animation can can open someone's mind to a to another possibility, an alternative way of living. And if it, if they can go through that just with a little bit of faith that maybe if they just try this, it could work in spite of everything they believe, because that's just the booze talking. Yeah. Uh, that for themselves, for their dependents, you know, for for that they can change. That's that's what really, uh, as we say in the UK, tickles my ivories. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> I didn't even play the piano. It is- I, I haven't heard that in so long. I love it. That's brilliant. Yeah, that it's easier to open someone's mind than to change it. And and for you doing that uh, in your day-to-day work and these beautiful free uh, videos, which I, again, I'm mentioning again because I want people to go watch them. And I'm going to make sure to to have those yes, links. Yes, please go watch and, and, and download and share them. Uh, because they can spark conversations. They will make you think, uh, at least I. they made me think about my relationship with trauma and with alcohol differently from a, a, a different angle than I had thought of it before. And it makes it make a lot more sense because uh, I'm someone who's terribly hard on myself. And so it's not that it excused me from the things that I've done, but it just helped to explain maybe what's been going on, you know, met- metaphysically with me for physiologically uh, and mentally 
for, you know, my 40 some years. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your passion with us and um, for the work that you've done and the the pro bono work that you've done to share these videos with the world. Uh, thanks, Don. It means a lot to, to me to hear you say that. It's, um, no, it's really nice. Very touched by that. Thank you. Yeah. What I want to do is 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 get into an organization uh, and into their wellness department. I would like one of these organizations, one of these days is going to turn around and say, look, we really have a duty of care to our staff about these mental health issues. And and then hopefully they'll come and to, they'll see those animations. They'll say, right, we want to commission something like that, a series of with with which we'd like you to write. We're going to have our own brand colors on it and and then we'll see what see where it goes from there and if we can get one or two of them on board we'll get more people on board yeah. and if we can get some big banks behind it then we'll we'll hopefully we'll start a, a um a real a real i want to say revolution in in the way that animation actually works because it's just little old me at the moment and, and i'm taking time off from 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 other sort of projects paid project but if i can if i can somehow merge the two wouldn't that be something you know it would be. really really get get stuck into to mental health and how animation can actually support it and help it you know the few hundred listeners that i have uh across the world uh you know i think in the last 10 weeks i've had almost 400 unique listeners and that's not a lot but it's but it's not a few and so um, among those people, they come from all different corners of, of the world, but also lots of different professions. And I, there are some professionals in my audience that are uh, like, if they're not the HR professional, then they're gonna have the HR professional working for them. So we're gonna trust yeah. that maybe there's that one person that in this episode, that would be my hope is that it will return something to you um, for what you've given to me with some great content to share with the world with my with my little world but hey i just want to thank you for for gracing me with your presence it's been an honor well Donna, it's been a real pleasure talking to you as well and and let's keep in touch and and, and yes. carry the whole thing forward eh?